0: This is probably going to sound crazy, but we need you to come to the future with us. The future? You're right, that does sound crazy. I'm going to the future,
1: Ma. I'll be back in a few minutes. Take a sweater.
0: Welcome to the ninth episode of Zero Hour Strikes, the show that covers DC's 1994 crossover event Zero Hour, Crisis in Time. Every issue, every tie-in, every Zero issue eventually. I'm Siskoid. I'm Beth. And in this episode, we take a look at the Legion's End of an Era event, which ramps up to and includes Zero Hour uh this is a this is a big one where we try to decipher Legion of Superheroes sixty and sixty one, Legionnaires seventeen and eighteen, and Valor twenty-two and twenty-three. I feel like I pushed you into the deep end more than usual, Bass.
1: Uh you think <laughs> I I most of the time I don't even know who these characters are. So this was uh this was a fun one.
0: But I hope it was. I mean we did cover all of Valor. Uh, at yeah. some point, uh, up to this moment, you know, because it, he was sort of born of the invasion and in discontinuity. And then it, it leads us through a bunch of temporal problems with Glorith and all of that. Yeah. And then finally it gets to this. So um, we kept those two issues those two last issues because we knew we'd have to cover them in uh, zero hours. So how did we get there,
1: Bas? <laughs> I have no idea. But you know what? I, <laughs> I, I'm one of those people who can jump into a series and not knowing what happened and still enjoy it. That's what happened when I was watching uh, Walking Dead. I started watching Walking Dead at, I don't know, it was season eight. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I just jumped on season eight, kept on watching it, and then went back and just checked out the major parts that I needed to. So I'm okay with jumping in a story or a larger arc, not knowing too much what's going on beforehand. But I will enjoy knowing what the hell was going on.
0: Mm, I'll I'll do my best because even for me this is confusing stuff. Even though I've read them, I've read them several times. I've researched them for the Legion of Super Bloggers. I've done a lot of work with this. I mean, this is how we used to read comics before there were trades and uh you know digital comics and people. Uh, you know now people can say can say, well, I, I want to read a certain character. Where do I begin? <laughs> and it's actually possible to begin at a point that is suggested to you.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I call it the golden age of uh, of geekdom mm. where, where you had to, you know, forage for stuff and try to find the issues you didn't have because you jumped over one. And the same thing with TV series. There was a time where you had to wait every week and once in a while you jumped one and you were like, what? How can I live this way? <laughs> but, you know, you had to remember and puzzle up the pieces like you could. To understand what was going on so because we used to just go to a store
0: and buy a comic and you were jumping into it in the middle of things and I, yeah. <laughs> obviously back in the day there was a lot more recapping because they knew that's how you were reading them uh yeah. and today sometimes it's like well it's just not possible to pick up an issue in the middle of a story arc and they're going to tell you what's been going on a lot of series just jump over that because they yeah. expect you to be reading it monthly or in a trade Where in the trade If there's a recap every few minutes of reading,
1: it'd be annoying. I get it. It'd be annoying. And and actually now we kind of feel that when we do have a recap. Mm. You're like, what? Why are we telling all of this? But you you kind of forget that these were all single issues. And, you know, we kind of need that recap one in a while.
0: Because I remember reading some, uh, like revisiting some 80s comics And sometimes it's like, why is half of this issue a recap? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so let's get into context. 1994 Legion books. I mean, there was some measure of brilliance to the five years later Legion that started by Keith Giffen and continued by Tom and Mary Beyerbaum. But now we're five years into it, and I think there's no denying that Legion was considered broken, By the the higher-ups. The introduction of the SW6 Legion, which are clones, like younger clones of the late 60s Legion. They proved popular enough for them not to get killed off, but instead they were given their own book, Legionnaires. Like a brighter, more traditional alternative to what was going on in the main book, which is really dark and gritty. But because the Young Legion was now on Earth, or, or New Earth, which was an agglomeration of domed cities in space after the Dominators destroyed our planet... It was dark and gritty. Uh, (laughs) that meant the, like the so-called real Legion or Adult Legion, or maybe that's what we'll call them, was on the run, disguised in terrible, frankly terrible costumes, or with awful names like Shrinking Violet became Virus and stuff like that. They continued to have interesting stories. That's not what I'm saying. They were just more and more unrecognizable. And so if Zero Hour has a lasting impact on any characters at all, it's going to be the Legion. We're going to close off this timeline, which has been so corrupted, let's say, that you, you can't walk back from... From it in a way, and we're going to reboot it in a configuration that's closer to what the SW6 Legionnaires book was doing. So it's like, okay, this one is proving popular with the older fans. It's bringing back people that had left the book, the so called Archie Legion, because of the look Mm -hmm. of it. So that's what we want to do now, and we want to get rid of the continuity where. They were all grown into adults, and it got really dark, and so let's get rid of that and reconfigure it more like people's tastes of the day, I guess. That reboot timeline will last for the next 10 years. I think it's one of the more lasting impacts, if not the most lasting impact, that Zero Hour had. Oh. Uh, and then the Legion got rebooted, then retrobooted, and I, I think that rebooting the Legion really starts here. This is the first true reboot. There's like a tiny dart Of course, Crisis caused some problems and and little retcons. But this is the first true reboot. And then sort of starts a tradition of, well, the Legion, we can reboot the whole thing because it's so separate from contemporary events and characters. So the, the impact is... The reboots is going to last a real long time, and then the permission to reboot it or return it to basics, et cetera, kind of starts with zero hours. So I'm saying there's like zero hour and Legion have like this intimate relationship. Whatever else is
1: undone that zero hour did do, you know, the impact on Legion is is important. Well, that's very interesting because I, uh, from where I was standing, I I thought that Legion got rebooted all the time and. And it wasn't a big thing because it's in the future and anything that happens now influences the future and blah, blah, blah. So you can just reboot it uh, willy-nilly, basically. But this is this first real event where this rebooting started. Yeah.
0: So, so that's interesting. Cause it is, there are retcons, crisis retcons, like characters in and out, Superboy, Supergirl became problems, etc., right? It's really an unbroken story from 1958 to 1994, So the rebooting is a really, you know, it's a recent event. And of course, they've rebooted every damn thing a couple of times since then, (laughs) you know. But for Legion, it sort of became this cycling, the cycle thing. And I I get it. Like, you're thinking it happened all the time. Yes, it's happened all the time since then. But it was at that point a new thing to do, at least for Legion. Obviously, Superman had been rebooted, Wonder Woman had been rebooted. You know, they're not the original reboots. But for the Legion, it sort of became the the big fix. How do we, uh oh, well, what do we do with the Legion now? And it's like, mm, let's start over. Uh, and they've just started over once again. Uh, previously, just to, to get us to this point, the, the founding uh, SW6 Legionnaires, so whenever I say founders, I always mean Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, and Lightning Lad, they've come to realize that time is out of joint. SW6 versions of Legionnaires who were never members of the team, like Bouncing Boy and Dream Girl and Starboy, have suddenly appeared. Pharaoh, formerly Pharaoh Lad, is now a statue in the Hall of Fallen Heroes, even though he shouldn't be. Uh, no one else seems to notice something is amiss. So uh, they leave for a time anomaly in the past in a time bubble. Invisible Kid and Ron Vidar, who know more about what's happening, narrowly miss them. Meanwhile, the Adult Legion is mourning the recent death of Laurel Gand, the adult one who stopped the war against the Kuns with her noble sacrifice. From outer space, the hero formerly known as the Adult Cosmic Boy, now going under the name Polestar, is attacking New Earth with meteors. And that's where we're at before End of an Era begins. So there have been temporal anomalies building up through all these books sort of heralding the end, sort of saying, okay, zero hours coming, and it's you know, Legion itself has a lot of continuity problems that we're gonna try to fix. That's the issues leading up to this that you did not read.
1: <laughs> well, Cosmic Boy turned into Meteor Strike Man. So yeah, that's that's kind of weird.
0: <laughs> Especially the way they get out of it. Storylines are going to be interrupted by this because suddenly we have different writers Like, Tom McCraw is one of the writers here, and he was a writer. He's been a colorist on Legion for a long time, and he started writing as well. But Mark Wade and Kurt Busiek are just showing up for the end. So I I think it's like, all right, everybody's fired. Let's put these guys who are really good with continuity and and, and playing ball and getting, you know, getting all these events to match what we're trying to do cleverly. I think those are two writers that can do that sort of thing, that Mm -hmm. understand superheroes in a way that... They're not just – they could jump into any book and do something interesting with it and play with that that continuity and that, you know, make it interesting. They just show up for that end, basically. So this is an assignment. All right, get us out of all the storylines that have been going on and give us like a big finale for these characters because after this, it's it's done.
1: Wow. Yeah. So they're they're comic book ninjas, basically.
0: That's uh, – uh. I like that. (laughs) And I didn't even know how to keep the recaps reasonable. (laughs) <laughs> there's so much stuff going on.
1: There's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's six books. And we'll do it one at a time, basically. We'll
0: Yeah. 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 End of an era is A Rush Job by Tom McRon, Mark Wade on the Legion titles, Kurt Busick on Valor, uh, with art by Chris Gardner, Dennis Kramer, Colleen Doran, uh, Dave Cooper, Stuart Romonin, and Ron Boyd, depending on the series. Well, there. That's my credits page. In Legionnaires number 17, that's where it starts. Polestar is attacking New Earth, thinking he's fighting the Kuns, but once the Legionnaires destroyed his gauntlets, he returns to normal and they realize he's Rock Kryn of the Adult Legion. They bring him to Shangala, where Laurel Gan's memorial is taking place. Invisible Kid and the two Brainiac Fives interrupt the funeral with an unspecified message for valor, and he, Shadowlass, Anomalous Dev M, There's Dev M is like this character from the previous continuity who shouldn't be there, and Andromeda, the young Laurel Gan, take off in a hurry. Invisible Kid, Brainiac Five, and Ron Vidar then try to explain the temporal anomalies accumulating in the late 30th century, using memorials that shouldn't be on Shangala and images projected from a time beacon as examples. More anomalies crop up, as we read, and then a host of Silver Age villains materialize out of the time beacon and fight the assembled heroes of both legions. During the fight, Rock feels compelled to leave and surrender to Mordru and Glorith, who are waiting nearby and are the apparent architects of this threat. Once the summoned villains vanish, the legionnaires try to get their hands on the sorcerers, but they vanish too. Dawnstar is sure she can track them and rescue Rock, but she vanishes from the timeline completely. And uh, she brings that terrible costume with her, thank God. Uh, so <laughs> that, that's not her usual look. So that's the first part of it. Annoyingly, it's branded end of an era conclusion instead of part one of six, which I'm sure is...
1: The confusion started there.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's a conclusion that begins here, I guess, but uh, I think that's probably just a production mistake is probably what's going on there. It's, or uh, or well, else it's I- just counterintuitive.
1: <laughs> I think they've tried to get into that Countdown thing. Mm. You know how everything counts down to zero hour? So I kind of figured out because there's the other one, the last one is the real conclusion. Okay. So so I thought, (laughs) all right, so we're doing like this kind of countdown type thing. So we started with the start of the conclusion, maybe? <laughs> I don't know.
0: I think it's like a mistake and then they caught it and then they went, uh, what do we do with the last one? Let's call it the real conclusion. Oops.
1: <laughs> Clever boy. What do we do with this one?
0: <laughs> so what did you think of this? How lost were you? Uh, you know, what, what did you get out of that first issue?
1: Well, first things first, I was very glad that people had these big ass belt buckles with the Legion on it Mm -hmm. the legion symbol because i i didn't know who was who and what was going on um
0: so he tells the villains from the heroes (laughs) yeah kind of well not really no the uh, adults don't have the belt and then the 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 sw6 the kids have the belt
1: i'm one of those people who kind of enjoys this weird cartoony look but is kind of freaked out by how the ladies back ends are always prominent (laughs) (laughs) They're okay. <laughs> always putting the booties out there, so I'm always like, why, why, why does this look so cartoony? And we have all these booties everywhere. But uh, the, the art was was nice, but uh, story wise, I was completely lost. I was wondering who was who, what was going on. I never really read. I know of the Legion of Superheroes, but I'm, I'm not really. I don't know all of these people's real names. I know like the Cosmic Boy and Matter Eater Lad, and these these names but i don't know all the names of when i was looking at this comic book i was like okay why is brainiac five all weirdly why is he like this he's he's in like
0: a this big blow-up suit the adult version anyway
1: who is this guy in the orange armor
0: wildfire i think probably yeah
1: i I thought it was wildfire but it's not well that's
0: one of the problems it's like we're ending this and the adult legion is in disguise. So so they've all got these very strange costumes, usually ugly. I don't know, like the the, the designs on this is like they're terrible. I, I mean, that's one of the problems. You like the art? I hated the art on this. I mean, <laughs> there's some good art in the other two series, but Legionnaires started out real strong uh with Chris Sprouse and by this point it's like this is I feel this is very amateurish. This is like the first work by an artist and the anatomy is, it's not like 90s extreme. Or he tries because there's just a lot of uh, gooey spit in people's mouths.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of spit. <laughs> 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 There's a lot of spit.
0: I guess it's influenced by that, but it's just so so sketchy. And uh, it, it is, yeah, no. it is.
1: And and probably the inkers were going crazy trying to ink this
0: and, stuff. And maybe I, th- I think it was, I mean, it's a combination. I think like probably the the whole art team is is <laughs> amateurs.
1: But I, I enjoy it, maybe because it's something I probably could draw. Mm, okay, <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can draw a little bit. You know. I sketch some things, and and when I look at this, I'm like, oh yeah, I could draw this. So that's maybe one of the reasons why I kind of enjoy this type of art, but it's the cartoony aspect that yeah. I kind of enjoy.
0: Well, you like what you like. That's, that's not a problem. <laughs> but uh, for me, there was like the joke on page one is that usually this book, Legionnaires, had a roll call. So you had like these columns, you know, like these old um, JLA, JSA crossovers, you know, you had the, the heads of the characters on the sides or yeah, so yeah. they would tell you who was who uh, in the issue because it's such a big team. So which characters are we going to focus on? And then they'd be in the columns, just their headshots. In Legionnaires, it was often, even after this, they kept doing it. I think it was often very fun. There was a lot of personality. It wasn't just like straight on headshots. There, There was, you could tell the personality of the character in them, and it was fun. Here, the joke is, there's so many, the roll call is just a big brick of a book <laughs> called Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, which... Was also a series where you know uh, that we covered on the Fire and Water Podcast Network under under the Who's Who banner. So it's like uh, you want to know who all of these guys are, you know, read the the Who's Who. Basically, So that's the joke. But for someone jumping in, that is the most unuseful, useless. <laughs> it is a joke, you know. It doesn't really help, and even and I get it because they don't just use various versions of each Legionnaire. They also bring in. Characters from the past, you've got, uh, you know, the Legion of Supervillains, the original Legion of Supervillains from, you know, all of this stuff is from the 60s, basically, you know, from Superman 147 or Earthlo, who gets blown up. And I I like it because you see his, he's a robot with hate program into him. And then there is like this reel of tape. Labeled hate that pops out of him when he gets blown up.
1: Oh, that's beautiful.
0: Yeah, that's a real, like a real throwback. This is real Mark Wade here. So that's from Adventure Comics number 300. Beauty Blaze from Adventure 355. You got Satan Girl from Adventure uh, Comics 313. But. We're not really introduced to these characters. They just show up and hopefully you're a fan from way back or you know your Legion lore because that's just not going to register much. You know, they they don't do much with it because as soon as it starts, it's over. The villains appear, they disappear. We go to a funeral, it gets interrupted. Uh, you know, Polestar or, you know, Rock Crin is attacking New Earth and then, oh, gee, what was I doing? And he stops. So there's a lot of this stop and go, just trying to get you know, the pieces in a row. So yes, the writing is a real mess, I'm afraid. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, uh, but you know, Mark Wade puts, has continuity implants, which are fun, a lot of temporal shenanigans to, to motivate those references to silver age stories. But you know, it's like, it doesn't really gel. And I, especially since I don't think the art really helps it for me, because it's is—it's confusing. Is Phantom Girl, or I guess uh, Apparition, um, the younger one, is she phasing, or is she disappearing into the time stream? Because it's the same effect as people who are disappearing into the time stream. And a lot of these references are just going to be lost on even know, not just the casual viewer uh, reader you know just why is there a dark star there well that's Celeste who usually has green lantern power so she's okay. sort of like um fire in um justice league Okay. just like a green flame person but because of the time anomalies instead of green lantern it's dark stars you know it's like stuff like that but it just oh, okay. it just happens and people don't really notice and they are they art mistakes or are they time anomalies it's like the whole issue is kind of like this even for the, the committed reader.
1: All right. So I don't feel that bad being lost in everything.
0: No. <laughs> Let's look at the next one. Uh, chapter two is Valor number 22. So here, New Earth is losing all structural integrity and the Legion's powerhouses, with the help of Jacques Focard and the subs, desperately try to stabilize it. But Valor can't shake the feeling that his memories are losing their own integrity. It was R.J. Brand who called them to New Earth with a plan to restore Earth and create a new home for humanity using the dead Earth from the Time Trapper's pocket dimension. Tyrock has been ensconced in a machine that will amplify his dimensional rift cry to allow a whole planet to come through, And it's up to the Daxamites to pull it through the rift and into our Earth's former orbit using an energy web they succeed despite valor almost vanishing from the timeline as more temporal anomalies crop up only his love for shadow lasts keeps him anchored to reality but the planet doesn't conform to our universe's laws and becomes unstable and threatens to explode any hope of disarming it vanished along with the legionnaires disappearing from the timeline including tyrock computo andromeda invisible kid and the subs but valor Brings Shadow Shadowlass back just before she's about to vanish. So love triumphs overall is sort of... So that's our first uh, issue of Valor here. Uh It doesn't take place in the time frame of, you know, like Valor number 21, which just before was a 20th century story, and it sort of ended Valor's 20th century adventures. So this is just part of the Legion stuff. So if you're reading only Valor, you're confused as hell. <laughs> that suddenly it's like, Valor in the 30th century. Uh, But what did you think of this
1: issue, Beth? Once again, slightly confused, but I kind of figured out what they were trying to do. I didn't understand why Earth was going to blow up or the motivations behind all of this, but it was a nice feat of strength and showing how Valor how Valor is important in all of this bigger context. I'm thinking it was once again, most of the time I'm wondering who these people are. Why should I care? And I did have this little thing where, where Shadowlass and Valor, you know, she's the anchor and, and the, their love keeps them, you know, united and, and on the same plane of existence. And that was very, uh, flash ish or, or Superman and Lois Lane, you know, so I I thought oh, okay, so they're trying to make us believe in this couple.
0: Yeah, it's one of the
1: it's the Legion power couples. Yeah, coupling I guess is a big thing in the DC universe, and 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 once you have this connection with somebody, uh, you, you're gonna keep it forever. I guess nobody breaks up in the Legion. I, I'm guessing. I don't well, know. It
0: happens. But, uh, it happens. Cause yeah. we, yes, because uh, I guess famously, lightning lasts used to go out with Timberwolf, she dropped him in favor of Shrinking Violet. So that became like a big, a, a
1: different power couple. That, that became another thing, yeah.
0: But there are these couples. I mean, Lightning Lad and uh, Saturn Girl got married. Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel, who got married. Projector and Karate Kid. So th- there are a number. Uh, Phantom Girl and Ultra Boy are considered like one of the big power couples. I think the Legion... Tends to pair off more than you know most superheroes, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were shipping before shipping was shipping. Yeah, yeah. I got confused when Monel started to to fade away, and then he was like, "I won't go, I won't." She's like, "What? What was that?" And then there's this thing where you know, a thousand years ago, and and I was in this buffer zone, and I don't, I didn't understand what the hell was going okay. on. Well, the big
0: tizzle. Or whatever, how it's pronounced is Phantom Girls Dimension. So originally in the original continuity, Monel is dying of lead poisoning. So Superboy shunts him into the Phantom Zone. Yeah. Yeah. That I, that I remember. Famously. And uh, he stays there for a thousand years. The Legion frees him and, uh, gives him a, a serum so he can, you know, cures his, his lead poisoning, so to speak. And he becomes a hero with the Legion. That's how it happens. Remove the Phantom Zone, because after Crisis, there's no such thing as Kryptonian supervillains and all of that. Oh, yeah. 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 So now it's like, after this, they're going to say the Stasis Zone. or So these seem to imply here that it's the dimension where Phantom Girl and her people, who phase in and out of existence, exist. So... He was shunted to, shunted to that. But at the same time, there's a lot of just gobbledygook in this where it's just supposed to be temporal anomalies. So, you know, like he yeah. has like this flashback where he's also in Camelot. He's also a member of the Justice League. You know, there's stuff like this oh, yeah. in the memories because his memories are corrupted by time anomalies. He misattributes the Legion's inspiration to Impulse and then to Robin, the girl wonder. You know, he misremembers yeah. his origin. So. I, I take all of this with a grain of salt as to it's just reality shifting and what is the Phantom Zone now is the question. Even Shadowlass calls him Mon as if he were still called mon and then she corrects herself and calls him Lar. Yeah. You know?
1: There's a lot of stuff going on and most of the time when I ask these questions, my reflex is, well, I'm going to find out sooner or later, maybe another book or something like that. That's so true. most of the time I just don't stick on it. I just just move forward and see what happened.
0: For me, this one in and of itself, it's big. It's epic. Uh, you know, Kryptonian level characters pulling a planet through a wormhole. Uh, Valor's yeah. love for Shady is, is like, it's like super romantic and it's big and epic. And I think Kurt Busick is really bringing it as far as thinking of this as a finale. The problem is and especially knowing what's to come and I think at this time we already knew it's not like previews catalog didn't tell us there were zero issues and reboots coming right it's like 2 months away mm. I think it's like the 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 5YL timelines death rows are a bit of a mess and it's it's really not because of the zero hour style temporal aberrations because to me as an older reader of these books I, I can catch the continuity references and that can be fun. Really, it's because everything the characters do is essentially futile. Who cares if someone vanishes or if Earth gets a happy ending after all or it's all going to be reset anyway. And I, I like as readers, if we knew if it was announced or it's at least suggested by the fact that there's a crisis going on, I, I wonder, was this a possible solution? Let's. Get rid of the adult clones. Like they they disappear from history. And that's what mostly happening. The kids seem mostly fine as far as disappearing. And then the SW6 can be called the real Legion. Let's just say the the adults were clones, not the kids. So the kids can rebuild a planet because Earth is brought, you know, is this like supposed to be the happy ending version that they're working on? But DC said, no, start over. You know, is that what's happening? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what was the behind the scenes on this.
1: The art was great, also. I, I like the the bold coloring and the bold strokes. And if you want to do a love
0: story with the Legion, Colleen Doran is is basically the the, the person you call because she she's done a number of them, and she's she's well known as a Legion. She was a Legion fan before you know before she ever worked on on any Legion books. That's a nice way to start off. <laughs> if you're
1: a fan, you're gonna draw something good.
0: You also notice that there's like. No backgrounds on the Valor cover. It's like they're using the whiteness of the Zero Hour event yeah. fading out. So that starts on this cover, and we'll see it on a couple of covers here. Like the next Valor and the, the last of the Legion are going to use a lot of stark white on the covers. First, let's get to Legion of Superheroes, number 60 cover with uh, young Mordru hugging... Glorith from the back and um, characters all around. So it's like a weird wedding going on there. Here's the synopsis. Rock Gren has essentially run into the clutches of Glorith and Mordru, which according to prophecy, a prophecy they believe in anyway, it's handed them victory. But they can't kill him because he's favored by the time stream, whatever that means. Both legions combine to rescue him, but the more sciency legionnaires are more concerned with the crisis in time. Uh, frankly. Glorith has a key to go to the infinite library where she can replenish her powers, but as the portal opens, Rock jumps through, magnetizing the key through with him and closing the doorway. The wizards attack Legion HQ to get a working time beacon so they can put their plan into action anyway. Fighting ensues. Some Legionnaires are turned into kids or seniors. Colossal Boy, or the young one, Leviathan, uh, is turned into a giant skeleton, so killed, and the beacon calls the Infinite Man who is the living embodiment of the space-time continuum. Glorith and Mordru absorb his power, which really can't be good for space-time.
1: At this point, I was figuring out who was who, and uh, I figured that Goatee Rock was Cosmic Boy, because yeah. uh, they said it. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Magnetic powers? Yeah. But I didn't, I, I kind of didn't get, you know, I was still wondering why he was this villain at one point, and why his, he's not a villain. I no. mean, he doesn't act like a villain, he still has the heart of a hero. I was wondering why they wanted him why they captured him and why they wanted to keep him for something and i i really didn't get it i did enjoy the concept of this eternal or eternity library or whatever i was just discovering at this point a uh, mordrew and and the water was getting clearer for me i kind of got that we had older legionnaires and younger legionnaires i didn't know who was who which one were the good ones i just figured that they were all time anomalies Like when we saw Robin. That's where I was. I was still trying to figure out who was who, though. And when these time anomalies happened, some nice little – they did some nice little tricks with uh, the paneling where we have one character saying something and the answer is given to another character that just popped in and everything just flows as if this never happened. So I kind of dug the way they used the time anomalies – in this one so i kind of stopped thinking all right all these characters are important i just stuck with the ones that didn't change so at this point i think i was really into the the story Mm -hmm. and there was this nice big splash page with everybody on it like we always seen a legion of superhero comic book you know have this big splash page with everybody in costume listening to somebody talk and i really enjoyed that moment i still didn't get why uh, Brainiac 5 looked like that.
0: Uh, it's Again, it's it's the older Brainiac 5 is in disguise.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's disguised as a muscular, fat, long-haired wrestler. Yeah,
0: a, yeah he's um, Mickey Rourke <laughs> or something. So, <laughs> but, you know, I'm looking at that splash, and you've got, like, some of the adults... Usually have beards or yeah. something. Uh and then there's or they're in civilian clothes.
1: Yeah, a lot of goatees. It's in the nineties. Yeah. Lots of goatees. Uh, and
0: then you've got the younger SW six legionnaires. But then you've also got legionnaires who are throwbacks who shouldn't be there. Like there's like the young polar boy who is neither yeah. SW six nor adult. He's a temporal anomaly, I guess. Same thing with um I think that version of Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad or I, I I'm not I'm not even sure who's supposed to be there, not supposed to be there. Uh but you've got also duplicates. Some people are there twice because yeah. of the anomalies. So yeah, I mean your feeling about the Legion and not caring about individual members is a little like how you read Legion books anyway, or certain eras <laughs> Legion books. It's a huge team. Sometimes you focus on some people, sometimes you don't focus on anyone at all, and it's just like there are a lot of people, they're all power sets, you watch them in fights. Hopefully you glean a little bit of their personality in there that, that would mean it would be well written for a Legion story. But a lot of the time, like, especially the big storylines, they're going to be action based. You're going to see a lot of characters as long as you get a handle on their powers, which I think is why they were usually called very simple names, you know, element lad. Okay. Changes elements. Uh, (laughs) I, I think that's why, you know, that's part of the, the idea was, was that such a big group. You can't really know them as well as a smaller team. So I yeah. don't think you're, you're reading it wrong at all. I like that scene, like scenes around that area of the comic because it's like th- that's the moment where they say it's about family, you know, where we're going to all get together because yeah. you can't, you can't kidnap. Rock Crin, the best among us, the original founder, we're all going to come together, both teams, or ho- however many teams are represented because of the time anomalies, and we're going to get our guy. They don't manage to. I, I feel like otherwise this is really just the setup for things to come. We're setting up, the, the, the wizards have the infinite man's power. We're setting up that Rock is in the infinite library and trapped there. Uh, we're setting up that the legions are coming together. But otherwise, it, you know, there's not much happening, uh, I would say. I, I will just mention that this is like Stuart Emonen does the Legion of Superheroes book. And this is like the best art of the three titles that we're looking at.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time.
0: So we're halfway there. Uh, We'll take a quick break when we return the actual zero hour tie-ins, though arguably, you know, the Legion's been in crisis mode for months at this point. (laughs) And the promo is going to be an oldie but a goodie. If you haven't listened to these shows, they're new to you and they might explain who some of these characters are. (laughs) Two hundred and twenty-nine different characters spanning the galaxies of the Legion of Superheroes presented across seven comic book issues. A new miniseries as part of the Who's Who podcast. To handle this many characters, the Irredeemable Shag is bringing in a ringer, or maybe we should call them flight ringers.
1: Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes. Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes. Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes. Who the Legion of Superheroes. The Legion of Superheroes. The Legion of Super-Bloggers team up to present Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, a 3-episode miniseries in
0: 2017, part of the Who's Who podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Long live the Legion! Okay, we're back. We're looking at uh, the the ones with actual Zero Hour written on the cover, basically.
1: Yeah, this is what we're supposed to read, but... You it know. would have
0: made no, even <laughs> less sense. We, we would have been, yeah, we would have been lost. To start here. Uh, so Legionnaires 18... Uh, here the Legionnaires are outmatched by Glorith and Mordru's power as reality starts to warp and the universe becomes a twisted version of itself in their thrall. The magic users of the group start an incantation to rob the two of that power, but things are made difficult when the evil wizards summon an evil version of the Legion to fight the group and members start vanishing as the timeline collapses. The White Witch, imbued with Amethyst's power, ergo the purple hair, eventually breaks their link and disrupts their spell, but perhaps only momentarily. Meanwhile, in quotation marks, in the 20th century, the founding members of the Legionnaires uh, join up with the adult Ultra Boy, a.k.a. Emerald Dragon at this point, to uncover the truth of the temporal distortions. They're immediately contacted by a hologram of Superman projected by Metron and are told to assemble to fight the crisis in time, tie-in confirmed. Uh, and outside time, rockrin learns his destiny is linked to Glorit's great Enemy and spends what seems like an eternity studying the secrets of the library. We see him grow old, then use a spell to rejuvenate himself, then grow back to adulthood. When he is finally ready, a door opens and he enters the domain of the time trapper. (laughs) Famous Legion villain, obviously involved if, uh, you know, if temporal shenanigans are, are going on. So, um, are we getting closer to, to
1: some answers here? Oh yeah, big time. I really enjoyed this one because I guess understanding what came before was uh, was uh, at least I got some of an understanding of what came before. And in this one, I was like, all right, older legionnaires, younger legionnaires, everybody's fighting these two people who took on who just stole the, the E eternal guy's power i don't remember his name uh, not important
0: infinite man
1: infinite man and uh <laughs> and i i did enjoy the still with a lot of spit in the mouths of everybody screaming <laughs> uh, but in this one there's a lot of stuff going on and i because we see the older legion with the traditional costumes and everything i'm I'm more focused. I don't I, I don't know how to explain this, but everything seems to be clearer at this point. I get that we have like a variety of people, even if I don't know everybody, like in the circle of sorcerers that they do, they do an incantation or something. I don't recognize everybody, but I do recognize some key players. And these are the ones that will go on. So I, I'm like, all right, I'm I'm, I'm getting all of this now. I really did enjoy seeing the Mordrew and Glorth version of the Legion, the evil Legion, I was kind of disappointed that nobody had a goatee. Yeah, they um, they really didn't
0: do much with it. They've got red eyes. No.
1: They're more ruthless. Yeah. I was like – all excited yeah. and was like, okay, this is going to be a huge fight. And it, it was fun. And it's a way to bring, but it was-
0: you know, characters that we haven't seen, like Karate Kid, Block, uh, Don Star was yeah. in there and gone, Invisible Kid, the original Invisible Kid. You know, there are some of these characters that we haven't seen. So here they are as evil versions of themselves. You know, yeah, it's not. It's a little disappointing, but at the same time, I don't think this is the art team, because this is the am- amateurish art team of Legionnaires. I don't think that's the best team to design evil versions of the Legion, in what seems very much like a rush job. You know, it's like, if we bring in writers at the last minute to tie into a crossover that's just like two months, or this, it's like next month, by the time they start this, they're already tying in, I think there's there's some rushing here, so redesigning the Legion is probably not possible for, for this this group yeah. of uh, creators. You know, I um, I feel like this one, it's the last Legionnaire's essentially, before it reboots. And there's no real send-off. I mean, the kids aren't really involved much in this. No, they they, they don't disappear. There's no, like, sacrifice from them. So I, I always felt like, uh, I, you know, I wish the last Legionnaires was more about the SW6 Legion, but they'll get their due later, I suppose. You know, except for the, the their founders, which go to 20th Century, to take part in Zero Hour. We'll see them in a couple of issues of Zero Hour as a consequence of this. But yeah, the Evil Legion to me is a little boring just because they're not redesigned much.
1: I kind of feel like they're put there as filler because I was all excited, but they, they, they got beat down pretty quick. The one interesting thing that happens, though, is uh, in the uh, the library.
0: Yeah, I think that's the best uh, part of the issue.
1: Rock. Grows old, goes young, grows older, becomes just like he was.
0: Yeah, they they put that at the bottom of each page for a while there. Yeah, and it's kind of a, a flip book. You could go and you know you you'd see him yeah. get older, younger, and and back. And that's like that's part of the epic nature of this. This is what I like about this finale regardless of its problems, and there, there are problems. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, you're right, the, the fight with the evil legion is kind of, doesn't serve much of a purpose. Uh Much like, yeah. let's do incantations to rob the power of the wizards. It fails! And then just, like, White Witch just stands up and says, oh, enough is enough, and, and sh- she manages it alone. So, you know, there's just a lot of this padding going on. But just because it's like, we've got six issues, and six issues is too much, I- in a way. You know, it's <laughs> yeah.
1: like... It kind of feels like, uh, you know, fan service, before fan service was popular. Somebody said, we should have an evil version of the Legion just because. It's going to disappear anyway.
0: We should have a chance to see Block somehow. It's like, oh, well, um, let's put him in the evil ones. But the, 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 the epic part of it that is meaningful is this whole... You know, it's like Cosmic Boy is living several lifetimes in the Infinite Library, learning magic, temporal, you know, whatever he's learning uh, is going to be important, especially as he faces the Time Trapper, which I think is an important part of his personal story, because the Time Trapper... I think is intimately linked, uh, I'm not talking about spoilers for other issues, intimately linked with Cosmic Boy through a couple of miniseries from the 80s. There was like a Legionnaires 3, which was about the founders going back in time and eventually forward through time uh, to face the Time Trapper. And then there was also, then they had a Cosmic Boy miniseries, which kind of followed that up during Legends, that also featured Cosmic Boy going back through time and the Time Trapper. So there is a connection between that villain and this hero uh, more than just with the, you know, just the Legion at large.
1: What it, what it did for me, not knowing everything going in, it really put the focus on how he's important. So all of a sudden we have all these characters just fighting and, and doing the usual stuff. And he's very – like there's this really big contrast in action, in effervescence, in everything. There's this huge contrast with him in the library just learning and these people just fighting it out. The focus, really, even if everything's moving in one place, my attention was all on this one person in one mm-hmm. library reading books. And, and that kind of shifted my, uh, my focus. And I was like, all right, what's going on here? What's going on? And why is this so important at the end? We have the Time Trapper, and the Time Trapper with a lot of spit, once again. We don't know if he's going to attack what he's doing there, if it's his domain, what's going on. But actually, he wants to discuss. <laughs> so it's it's a weird thing, and all the focus goes on, on Rock in this one. I really find that intriguing within the context of this one book. The
0: story continues in Valor number 23, uh, which is much less focused on Valor than – Number 22 was, and then we're really looking at this story, uh, you know, like jumping back and forth through every important piece of it. In Valor 23, Valor and Shadow Lass reach the Legion and help them fight Glorith and Mordru with the additional help of Superboy somehow returned to the timeline by playing on Glorith's 1000 year unrequited love for Valor, uh, which we did cover, uh, you know, in the in- invasion, the Valor special that we did. Uh, they defeat her mm-hmm. and the Infinite Man's energies start bleeding off her. The two dream girls push Valor into the, the stream and he is imbued with the energy, now able to fight Mordru one on one. Meanwhile, outside time, the time trapper is telling Rock Crin his story. That knowing of the upcoming crisis in time, he has ever been dedicated to preserving the Legion and its version of the 30th century. That it was he who created temporal duplicates of the Legion and stored them in the vaults of the Time Institute. And these became the SW6 Legion, not clones like genetic clones, but temporal clones, that he created the pocket universe Earth as a refuge for the Legion, but that it was destroyed in events out of his control. Then, that he acted behind the scenes to keep the team safe at the risk of playing the villain. So, he's always a big manipulation, helping them while also opposing them. And, finally, that he is
1: Rock Kryn himself. ta ta really? Really? I was like, oh, this is... So-
0: Back in normal time, Valor unleashes the Infinite Man's energy on Mordru, who absorbs it until he overdoses... Everyone attacks him in his moment of weakness and he vanishes, sent to the interior of a planet by Saturn Girl's implanted suggestion where his natural claustrophobia should keep him prisoner. Except it didn't work as well as she wanted because he teleports to the core of the pocket universe Earth, which is about to explode and free him once more. The one casualty of this last battle is Shadow Lass fatally injured, but she is wiped from the timeline before she actually dies. Valor soon joins her. All seems lost, but Superboy gives a rallying speech before vanishing himself, and the Legionnaires, filled with hope, vow to find a way to win the day. This one is also big and epic. I think Busick is really pushing those those boundaries. Uh, I think my one, you know, my my one gripe, let's say, is that Shadowlass has a gruesome death, which is all bubbled and you know, like takes away from the romance of that moment. I think
1: it kind of reminds me of uh, that that weird romance horror movie. I think it's Slither. It's called. I don't know. It. It's this thing where this person turns into this slime ball monster, but His wife says, well, you know what? We're married, so you're my husband now. And she still loves him. The the monster eats people but doesn't eat her. And, and Anyways, it's gruesome. It's kind of disgusting. And, yeah, it it takes us away from the romance. I mean, it it wasn't necessary at this point to make her bubble up. But I guess – 90s. Yeah, nineties. And it's, I mean, I don't, ugh.
0: there's still a, a great moment where Valor, you know, is is completely hopeless in that moment. And then yeah. he disappears while, you know, he's really crying and, and whatever. And I mean, this is still one where he becomes a big giant and punches Mordrew, which uh, it's a weird use of Mordrew personally, but you know, and you've got the big speech by Superboy who was. You know, Superboy was the the reason the Legion exists, basically, in the original timeline. So yeah. it's kind of coming together. And by this point, I'm looking at the roster, and it's like, okay, now Saturn Girl is from the disco era with the, the pink bikini uh, thing. So yeah, you yeah. know, we're getting a lot of looks, uh, but sadly, still Fat Suit
1: Brainiac Five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I kind of like. You know, Superboy does all this speech. And he is, all right, now let's go. And he he disappears. And then somebody says, who was that? <laughs> <laughs> that to me, I actually lulled for real. <laughs> all right, this is funny. Somebody said, this yeah, is funny.
0: Well, I mean, for some, some seem to know. And maybe some, maybe none of them know. It's like, well, I guess he's a member of the Legion in
1: some temporal corner. Yeah. <laughs> Even they don't care who's in this book. They <laughs> didn't I mean they're in the book and they're like, Yeah, I don't know who this kid was. He has powers, he's strong, he did great speech. Who yeah, was it? And I think it's Ultra Boy
0: that asked the question. It's hard to say because he's he's cropped, you can they see his like <laughs> side of his face. And Ultra Boy's, you know, first appeared in a superboy story rather than a Legion. So. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so everything's out of whack. Everybody knows it's out of whack. So it it, it feels like it's going to end at this point. I really it really feels like it's going to end. Everybody knows that this is all it's timey wimey, it's wibbly wobbly. It feels like everybody knows, and they're all like, "All right, we're heroes. Let's yeah. go for and
0: it." And then the cover, Monel or Valor, is sort of fading out. This is one of those stark white covers, uh, but it is not as stark or faded out as. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number 61, which is completely white with the time trapper, a tiny figure on the cover. And even the Legion logo, like the title is, is fading out. You can only see the top of the word
1: Legion. I'm going to admit these, all these covers are really good. I really enjoy all, all mm-hmm. these. Covers. I, I think so too. I, it's it's a great combination of covers. It's the it's also a great progression in these covers. They're all tied into one one another. I really enjoy it.
0: What happens in Legion sixty two? This is the the real conclusion. Pocket Dimension Earth is about to blow because of its gooey Mordru center, and the Legionnaires who showed up in Le- zero hour are back for it, with bad news about history. The solution comes in the shape of Rock Krin and the Time Trapper, who is also Rock Krin. They appear. When he created temporal clones of the Legion, he says, it was so they could survive the crisis, or this crisis, uh, specifically, but it caused a devastating paradox that's further weakened time, and the only answer lies in unification of the past and present Legionnaires that still exist. But what about someone like Inferno, uh whose counterpart is the adult Sunboy who's dead? Well, uh he is, but his body is actually there. Wildfire reveals he's been using Sunboy's corpse as a host. Okay. Uh the t- <laughs> The Time Trapper grabs the time Lost Phantom Girl from where Glorith sent her to reunite with Ultra Boy, which is like, this is a long, dangling plot thread, and we all thought she was Phase from the Acronym Legion, and uh, this is going to cause problems of its own. Uh, in the reboot as, a, what, what, how, how is this all possible? But, you you know, you can't fix a problem in a crisis without creating a whole bunch more. That's the lesson, DC. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she reunites with Ultra Boy, it's kind of sweet, and then uh, with her younger self. The adult and teenage versions of each Legionnaire embrace Make their goodbyes, knowing they are sacrificing their lives so the universe might live in some version. As the planet under their feet disintegrates, the founders are the last to go. And as they go, we get a montage of famous Legion moments. And on that last page, or that last image, is of them saving RJ Brand at the very start of their story. And we fade to white. Ooh. <laughs> it's kind of touching, really. You know, it's, it's poignant it, it, it for is. Me. I-
1: It is. It is very touching, and and this really felt, except for the gruesome face because '90s. It really felt like goodbye. And even though I'm not really connected to these characters, I still really felt that you know this was over. The goodbye. It it was touching. It was really touching.
0: I think so. You know, I like the way they faded out as well. It's like we see the same panel four, three, four times, and it's like there's like lines. It's like they're pulling the the blinds on it, like that, that that effect. Yeah. So that's an effect that's unusual, and we haven't seen in, in any of the other fade-out books in, in Zero Hour. I think it's unique to this. Yeah, it's like, if you've been reading all along, and if you consider this the original story from 58 up through the present, you know, it closes on a celebration of what these characters mean and who they are and to each other as well. So, you know, you've got, like, yeah. these last kisses. And it's, like, it's like, you know, it's kind of wonky uh, in a way because it's like the disco era, Lightning Land and Saturn Girl instead of the 5YL versions because of Time Anomalies. It's not like all the adults and all the kids. You've got some in-betweeners, There, but, you know, they kind of make it work. Obviously, there's problems in the way that this has been manufactured in the first place. And like I said, it's like Phantom Girl is going to cause a problem for the 20th century once we've rebooted. And I could have done without the Wildfire reveal, quite frankly. I don't know if this was always the case because, I mean, like Sunboy dies and then Wildfire returns and it's it makes sense. Was this always going to be – was this like a, a, a napkin that said, uh, oh, by the way, Wildfire is using this body and it's, oh, well, let's pay this off. Or th- is, is this like a clever invention? Oh, shit. You know, we've got Inferno, the young sun boy, but we don't have the older sun boy because he's been dead for years. Hey, what about? <laughs> it, it kind is, of that, is it clever? Is it cheating? Is it cheesy? Is it kind of ugly to look at? Um it's all of those things. I think
1: it's ugly cheese. That's that's <laughs> it's brie. It's basically. Mm. But
0: you couldn't get any more epic than this. Whatever happens in zero hour, like you didn't need zero hour for this to happen. In a way, mm-hmm. because it's just like it's time trapper. It's there's been anomalies cropping up. It's all because I created these temporal clones. Time is, is you know is is deteriorating because of this. Then you brought in that planet from the pocket dimension, and it's caused a further rift, and it's gonna blow up. And let's reboot our part of history. I mean, they could have
1: done this storyline without Zero Hour. They could have. They probably should have. But uh, Zero Hour, I think, was a great opportunity to bring it in. You know what? It also feels like this is the origin of the unraveling of time. Mm. And maybe that's kind of a fake out also. Because we all know that's that's not who creates the Zero Hour. I mean, it doesn't originate there. No. Right? So it kind of feels like it does. And
0: maybe it does a little bit it's something like the Hawkman issue where he thought it was being caused by the Hawk God. Uh yeah. so are all of these things happening at the same time creating that crisis that then other villains use to their advantage? Now time is 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 broken, so Monarch is going to do his thing, you know. Yeah.
1: It's like if uh, time was weakened and couldn't stop Monarch from right. doing and, something.
0: Or is it. is it the opposite in wh- the the reverse where time is uh, being broken down by Monarch or Extant or whoever the villain turns out to be. Because of that, well, it's causing problems that the Time Trapper is trying to fix. It's causing problems that the Hog God is, you know, bleeding through. It's a little bit of both. I think it's probably this the second Version. It's like he saw, the Time Trapper saw the time crisis coming. Well, the time crisis is caused by someone else, but he's going to try to fix it by rescuing the 30th century in some form, by rebooting it on <laughs> his end. And we'll see him in Zero Hour itself. Uh so I've got this like big theory about the Time Trapper that he is a different person in each continuity uh, and he is like the representation of that continuity sort of thing. So in each continuity there must be a Time Trapper but that Time Trapper basically a different person grows up to be the Time Trapper. In this case okay. and it may not be since 1958, it may be since there was like these crisis tweaks, you know, in the 5YL Era, It is, he is fated to become Cosmic Boy, or Cosmic Boy is fated to become the Time Trapper. Uh, But in the next continuity, it's suggested that it's someone else, and in the uh, ultimate, you know, like in Final Crisis, uh, Legion of Three Worlds, uh, he's Superboy Prime, is the Time Trapper. Uh, Uh Each continuity sort of has their own Time Trapper that is in their... Image or the image of the, of that continuity. I think I, I probably discussed this somewhere sometime. Uh, <laughs> I remember, I don't remember the details too much, but, uh, I, I, there is a way to look at this and make sense of it. But the time trapper isn't always the same person. It's a little bit like Kang, uh, Immortus, um, you know, in Marvel comics, like the time traveler, uh, villains, uh-huh. Ramatut, Kang and Immortus are all the same person, finds a time machine and then he does different things depending and he becomes different people time splits up so time trappers kind of like that any final thoughts about the whole shebang honestly
1: confusion aside i really did feel like this was a series finale as if they were ending something that was long lived and needed to end i mean it didn't end it restarted and everything but i think uh, from what i've read which is these six books this is a nice way to just tie up everything and give us a clear reboot down the line so i think this is a nice uh, a nice goodbye for everybody i kind of feel some closure here even though i don't really know them. i kind of feel some closure
0: i agree with all of that we'll listen to another short promo then we'll come back with your feedback from the previous episode
1: Ooh. welcome to the world of tomorrow <laughs>
0: The Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series, five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com.
1: Always have to say it that way.
0: Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? Letters lost in time.
1: <laughs> Letters lost in time.
0: <laughs> Excerpts from your comments on our coverage of Hawkman, the dreaded Hawkman episode. <laughs> uh, Chris Franklin says, "Ooh boy, I don't envy you guys. What a mess!" And I mean, Chris, if you think that was a mess. <laughs> How about this episode? Uh, he says, Hawkman's continuity was already a raging dumpster fire, and then adding all the Native American heritage stuff to it when he already had Egyptian heritage was like the fire spreading to a nuclear power plant. Merging the characters together really didn't solve anything. I think if Silver Age, Qatar Hall had emerged from Zero Hour, somehow it would have patched up DC history more. But what do I know? All I know is classic Silver Age Hawkman has never truly returned in any subsequent DC continuity. I think Jeff Johns did the best he could to make it all work out in his JSA and Hawkman runs, but then people wouldn't just leave it alone and mucked it up again. Poor Hawkman. Even Power Girl and Donna Troy look at him and just shake their heads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David S. Gutierrez says, Bass survived the gauntlet. Congrats.
1: Warrior. Oh.
0: But boy, does Hawkman later lean hard into the more spiritual world. There is an Avatar arc, uh, lots more exploration into the Hawk God stuff, and the loss of Shaira, in retrospect, Her sidelining is merciful. It's not a lot of love for what comes next for Hawkman either.
1: No, not really. I I think I'm not the only one that doesn't really enjoy Hawkman.
0: Mm, Brian Linton says, Warning, the following comment has nothing to do with Hawkman and is really a thinly veiled attempt to indulge my teenage fascination with heraldry. Okay, nerd. Uh, he says <laughs> I was big into heraldry back in the middle and uh, in the middle ages, I was gonna say. I was yeah, a lot of people were big in into heraldry in the middle ages. Yeah. Uh no, back in my middle and high school days. So I got a big kick out of Bar Sinister's appearance in these issues. Fun fact, Bar Sinister is a pseudo heraldic term for a band that runs from the upper right or dexter side of the shield to the lower left or sinister side in true heraldry a bar is the term for a vertical band and therefore cannot run diagonally the correct term for a diagonal band like this is bend sinister, but that just doesn't sound as cool. A little research on the internet suggests that Sir Walter Scott invented the term bar sinister, uh, which he used to imply bastardy. In a feeble attempt to tie it back to the comics, I see that Bar Sinister's special third arm, the one on which he wears a red glove, is on his left side, below his normal arm. So it's the it's on the bar sinister part. <laughs> you know, if if, if he wore yeah. a shield. Uh, his his extra arm is, in, is Bar Sinister. <laughs> Unfortunately, the posted images don't reveal anything about the nature of Bar Sinister's parentage. So we don't know if he's a bastard or not, but kind of implied. <laughs> well, you know what? It did, did have something to do with the comics, Brian. I think that was the, the, one of the more interesting comments that we got. It
1: is interesting. And <laughs> it's really how people, and, and in this case, Brian brought something to the table that was more than just what we saw. So thank you, Brian.
0: Uh, let's look at Bradley Null's comment. He says, I do not like the Silver Age Hawkman. I met him on the Super Friends, and he was my least favorite. Then the comic that made me a superhero fan, JLA 147, introduced me to a reincarnated Egyptian prince, Hawkman. I liked that version much better because of this preference and my dislike at the time for comics that were too war-based I wouldn't read Hawk World until years after Zero Hour was over. The only thing I knew about the Hawks post-crisis was that the continuity was so glitched, it could be the entire reason for a time crisis on its own. I wanted Zero Hour to fix them. It just merged them into a non-explained mess. That merged Hawk God is the personification of my disappointment with Zero Hour in general. There is not a fix in Zero Hour. Just some bad endings. There were starts to a whole lot of other books as a side effect, some of which were great. It's not the point. Instead of bringing back the multiverse, Zero Hour was a book of endings. Nothing is fixed in the series, just tied up. The DCU that this clears the way for is probably my favorite comic book DCU. The white pages and timing allow for me to tie it to Sandman. I like the idea behind the main bad guy, and I like where they went later. So I love what this series allowed to happen. However, as a series, it's just a bunch of done-now endings for characters who deserved a better end. He also mentions the Happy Meal toy that uses the costume from the series in the animated style, which was never on TV, uh, you know, the Batman-Superman cartoons. But but that, that is surely a time anomaly Bradley you know that there were there are toys not based on the cartoon but with the cartoon look from comics of this era. I think there's also a Kyle Rayner. Zero Hour is a little bit like the just before Flashpoint. Okay, now everything ends, and then yeah. we can start again or continue from a a certain closed off loop for some books, anyways.
1: Probably some books did deserve a better end, but if we're looking at this one we or this series we we read today, I think this is a great end. Endings are always hard so at least starting a new uh, starting or, or having this crisis or crises I, i'd say because it's multiple crisis all in one with everybody ending is a nice jump off point for something new or jump on hopefully <laughs> yeah jump off sounds like uh or jumping yeah jumping on point so yeah i'm i'm not hating this right now because i kind of enjoy i'm kind of enjoying all these endings i really enjoyed the hawkman ending just cuz it ended.
0: I mean they say ending, but it's like this version of the character is now transitioning to another version of the character. That's not exactly. Uh, Zero hour except for Legion. Zero hour did not reboot anything. It was like little retcons, little differences, and then we keep going on but it's the same, you know, it's the same story that started if you like after crisis. You know, it's the same story that yeah. started with Man of Steel number 1 or whatever. So it was a, it was a crisis of loose ends. <laughs> That's what they should have called it. Loose ends. Loose ends, crisis in time, <laughs> and she says I was a big fan of Hawkman's look in the Bronze Age when he still sported the Cubert look. I read the last Showcase issues and bought the Shadow War miniseries and the beginning of the solo series that broke out of that mini. But it just seemed like there was never enough to keep my interest long-term. I then read the Hawkworld mini, and I was floored by it. The political intrigue of, Tan- of Thanagar, the sort of flawed Qatar, the Truman art, all clicked. But once more, once the monthly broke out of it, it didn't grab me enough to stick around long-term. In fact, the last solo issue of Hawkman I bought is later in this series when Wonder Woman sporting the black bike shorts guest stars. I love Messner Loeb's Wonder Woman book at the time. So when I read the real Wings Hawkman in that issue, uh, I was flummoxed. So I uh, thank you for covering these. I guess it's, it's just the same as this Legion issue. It's like, you just <laughs> jump into the middle of it. It's like, huh? Uh, Joe X says, One of my old sketchbooks has an amazing Steve Lieber Hawkman from this period. I told him to go full Hubert on it, and it's gorgeous. Should dig it up and put it online. Please do. Clinton Robinson says, Well, you guys made it through GodSpawn. I'd love to tell you things yet better from here, but Spider-Man Animal Totem storyline was pretty much the best comparison you could make. So that sums that up. Despite... Me really liking the design of the new Hawkman, it feels like Messner-Lobes was left a mess and he just tried to clean it up as best he could at the time. Putting Carter, Qatar into Wonder Woman's Justice League after zero hour probably didn't help matters much either. Hard to tell stories about a character when nobody really knows anything about him yet. Diablo Frank starts with a quick recap of his history with the character. Uh, it's very quick. 1966 Hawkman and Justice League of America shorts weekday afternoons on UHF. Super friends. Superpowers figure, I got that one too. Badass house ads for the Shadow War of Hawkman, ads. (laughs) (laughs) Appearances in Justice League International circa Millennium, missed the start of Hawkworld for lack of comic shop, then because of inflated cover price. I guess that's it. He says, I definitely recall buying the gold foil gimmick cover Hawkman number one and not liking it enough to continue at least uh, partially from its clearly taking place in the middle of a story begun in the previous volume. Somebody decided in the 1990s that they didn't need to carefully orient new readers at entry points like a debut issue, and I feel like we're still paying the price for that. The Bloodlines tie-in uh, annual at least explained what was going on there, as the previous volume had left Qatar, Shaira, and Count Viper in each other's bodies. The quickest path to a successful relaunch is to intentionally misidentify all the lead characters and carry over a convoluted story arc from a semi-obscure 30-odd issue series, and then have the entire creative team leave half a year later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, identified there. Uh, he says, I picked up the Hawkworld miniseries in trade paperback and Guitar Hall's turn as a junky, corrupt cop who murders a would-be benefactor while detoxing uh, basically ruined the character for me. I couldn't forgive him even as I compiled a set of the Hawkworld ongoing series. I read the first year's Biff, a uh, mercilessly bloated arc, and a few more besides, but it just didn't grab me. There was the annual that tried to tie golden and modern age Hawkmanses in the least organic ways possible, plus that issue where they explained away the post-crisis Hawk appearances as Thanagarian spies under false identities to gain the JLA's trust, something mentioned also by Kevin from New Orleans uh, as well in the comments. He says, It was one extravagant, unnecessary lie after another, papering over history with post-it notes, as told by a string of indistinct, undesirable spokespersons. 90s Hawkman was the Trump presser of continuities, and that, more than anything, inevitably rendered the character toxic. (laughs) Wow. I'm not even finished, but uh, let's just take a break here to to, to to marvel at the poetry.
1: I mean, I thought I didn't like Hawkman.
0: <laughs> uh, he goes on, he says, in all of his incarnations, Hawkman looks cool, and has wicked weapons, William Messer Loebs had converted me into a hardcore Wonder Woman fan, so I had high hopes he could finally get Hawkman over in the same way. I'm not a fan of Steve Lieber on his best day, and which these weren't, and the bleak violent stories were misaligned with Loeb's writing strengths. After decades of Hawkman being a poster boy for white conservative superheroes, his suddenly growing his hair out and claiming to be part Cherokee left a foul taste in my mouth. As it should. I loathe. All the Dr. Moreau stuff with the terrible wannabe cyberpunk, juxtaportmonto notations, the collapse of Thanagar and revelation that Nth Metal was derived from an enslaved god, reeked. I ultimately was wishing they'd just kill Qatar and let Carter Hall take over. I blame Editorial for most of this. I believe one of Zero Hour's stated purposes in interviews was to fix... Hawkman. And I believe everything down to his post-event redesign was courtesy of Dan Jurgens. I believe Loeb's had marching orders to resolve all the Downsider stuff and to work in the Golden Age Hawks. It was all plotting by committee bullet points. And yet one of the, one of the things we'll see in the next, uh, I think in the next zero hour, in the next episode, really, you know, one of the orders was to get rid of the JSA, controversially. Yeah, uh, why
1: would you want to do that? This
0: is the problem with Editorially run events or comics in general. I mean, I I've talked about this on other shows uh on the network. You know, when uh, when Dan Didio was dismissed, we had like this big it's on the Fire and Water Presents uh, stream if if people want it. We we talked about what we would do as publishers, as editors in chief. Uh what would we do in Dan Didio's place, sort of thing. One of the things I said there was that if you don't like a character as an editor or as a publisher, if you don't like a character then do not touch that character, or as a writer even. you know, If you don't like a character, and you can't find a way to like them, then you should not be touching them. You shouldn't be calling for their deaths. Just leave it alone. Somebody yeah. will come around and make you like them with some other piece of writing eventually. But killing them is just a waste of resources. In the case of Hawkman, uh, Hawkman and Hoggirl from the Golden Age are not killed, but they are merged with the current Dayhawk man, so poof, they're gone. It comes to the same. They're just erased. This isn't like it's a good idea. It's because, okay, we've got orders to get rid of the JSA. Okay, well, we'll get rid of these two particular members in this way. But uh there's no reason for it, except somebody at the top said... I want them gone.
1: And, and, I mean, that's why people hate that kind of stuff because it's basically power struggles, right? In a writer's room, in in anything creative, if the suits come in and just dictate everything that's going on, it, it always becomes ugh because they don't know what's going on. They don't understand that characters are important even if they don't like them. And that's a very true, very real problem for, oh, man, every writer out there. So – it's more complicated than, you know, just saying, oh, well, it's just suits saying stuff. It's it's really cr- crushing the creative spirit. And I think that's what happens when suits do that.
0: And it's particularly terrible when, like in this case, uh, the orders came from Mike Carlin. And in comics, those suits, there are, you know, there are those studio suits and those WB suits and all that. But there's like, there are suits in there. They used to be comic book writers or yeah. creators, you know, and they just, they upgraded to like a higher status where they, you know, they don't write or draw much anymore, but they're up there. And then they've got biases because maybe they didn't like to draw a certain character because they didn't like to write a certain character. They're kind of strangling the talent under them in a way that they would never have liked to have been strangled in the past. Uh, or maybe they were, it's like the abusive uh, oh, yeah. parent-child relationship, I, I you know. I think it's particularly terrible when a creative type becomes a suit as you say and yeah. then pulls these kind of shenanigans that they would never have wanted to put up with. But because oh. because they've got like a writer's brain, they're th- they're saying, "Well, I know better than younger writer over here." Oh, so, well, it's it's
1: always that. That's yeah. <laughs> you just described something that that happens in every sphere of, yeah. It's everywhere. This one person is smarter, didn't get the credit they wanted, and all of a sudden, uh, they're on top of something, and once they're on top, oh, they're going to get credit for everything. Right. Or they're going to, you know, so that's it's, it's a very common tale.
0: Yeah, we'll get to talk about that more later, uh, you know, in the next episode as well. To keep going with the comments, Robert Ward says, I have, I have a hopefully fun question for the next episode, or this episode, I guess. Uh, in, in this episode, Siskoid mentions the Netherworlders' stupid powers. <laughs> so in the tradition of imagining yourselves with superpowers, if you could give any stupid superpower to each other, so I give one to you and you give <laughs> one to me, what would you give? And I sent you this question beforehand so you could yeah. think about it, and then personally did not think about my own answer.
1: Oh, well done. Idiot. Well Let's done. improv this. <laughs>
0: Let's improv this bit. You had more time to think about it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought about it a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and when it comes to stupid powers, I remember you and me having conversations about stupid powers and and how stupid powers are just they're not really stupid. All powers are are wonderful. They're just badly written. So I kept that in mind and tried to figure out a really stupid power that, you know, wouldn't even if you used it well in a well-written story wouldn't to amount to much. But I didn't want to create something that was truly stupid because it has to have a purpose, right? Because if you have just a you know stupid power that doesn't amount to anything, is it really a power? So I was thinking about it. And <laughs> if I was to give you one power that's useful but completely useless at the same time, it's the power of super directional understanding, knowing where north is all the time you 're a compass
0: like a passenger pigeon or something uh, pa- uh, it 's not a passenger it 's a messenger pigeon passenger pigeons
1: uh basically <laughs> sit in the car next to you <laughs> I, I mean it's it 's a power, but even if you have it, how is it useful in a just regular context it 's not <laughs> we can do that while while looking at the sun
0: pretty good actually uh well thought out you know i i 'm just going to pull something out of my ass here uh, <laughs> well there, there we go okay that that's <laughs> Pulling things out of your ass. Oh, that's Uh, wonderful. That you know, so it's like that—that back pocket that cartoon characters have. It's stupid in the way that it's silly, uh, but also for human beings, pulling something out of your ass is quite the challenge because your hero self would have to, at the very least, have a like a (laughs) back (laughs) flap. So I I think it creates like a fun, uh, an amusing situation that uh, you know you just sparked off there. Just just. Yeah, like an interdimensional bottomless pocket that is situated, like the wormhole is situated around your...
1: My back end? Oh, that's weird. uh
0: But then we wear pants, so which causes problems for, you know, any hero that would want to use that ability. <laughs> a kilt? Oh. May I May I suggest a kilt?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I always wanted to wear a kilt proudly. So, so that's, uh, it's
0: easier to pull out a piano. So,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I can pull out anything out <laughs> of Apparently. my... It was like a Bugs Bunny kind of thing.
1: That's wonderful. <laughs> I appreciate this uh, wonderful gift of power you gave me there. The ability to pull anything <laughs> out of your ass. I mean,
0: it's an impressive. power. Well, you power.
1: know, I, I kind of do have that, but... Yeah, you know. I
0: mean, yeah, see? See, so it's got to be, you know, you got you were bitten by a radioactive... Improv player or something. Im- improv, <laughs> okay. and then um, and then it has to be a power that has something to do with you in a way, you know, like Spider Man felt like a bit of a creep, so he became like a Spider Man, uh, you know, oh, Sandman, okay. stuff like that, you know, it's got to be a little bit about the personality of the person in a way. So yeah, yeah, I get it. It's wonderful. thank you, Robert, for your question. Finally, we've got Tim Price. He says it's a rare exception uh, when an out of continuity story transitions to being in continuity. Uh, and does it well. The only example I can think of doing that well was Truth, featuring Captain America, uh, which added a fascinating history to the hero's origin without adversely affecting him and inspiring other interesting stories. Hawkworld, which was originally supposed to be out of continuity, but was integrated, did not do this well. I loved the mini and the series, but I'll say it, in terms of DC continuity, it was a mistake to do it, which pains me because I legit enjoy those versions of Katar and Shaira, but it saddles the characters with unnecessary baggage. It's also frustrating that overall I think the stories are entertaining, but the conclusion of this arc completely unsettled me. Merging Katar, Carter, and Shaira? Biological wings, struggling, and sometimes tormented by those combined memories and more, it just wasn't fun to read, even in the Give the Hero Obstacles to Overcome sense. I'm also hard-pressed to remember why I didn't drop the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we've all done this. I, we've all read books way beyond their, their due date, hoping hoping it would get better, or maybe just out of sort of a loyalty. I want a complete collection. I I know I I read Uncanny X-Men way beyond what I thought was still good comics.
1: I think a lot of comic book readers, they don't have a problem, but they, they do commit a lot and that's a that's a good thing because i think uh, a lot of times writers change and you know artists change and and you're like all right i don't really enjoy this comic book but maybe the next one will be better maybe the next one will be better and i think people tend to stick because i mean we always have hope that it'll be better right so it's it's not a flaw
0: i think the, the the price point has changed things Somewhat. Because oh, yeah. Today, it feels like, okay, the, the, you know, Marvel or DC, they're just canceling comics after six or eight issues. Uh, oh, well, it didn't pick up speed fast enough. So maybe the readers aren't giving books a shot, you know, like, okay, let's give them a chance to settle in and start to tell their stories and people abandon the books faster, but at four or five bucks a pop. I get it. You know, I, oh, I, yeah. I I've done it. <laughs> so, uh, but back in the day, it's like, it's another 75 cents. It's another buck 25 or whatever it might have been at uh, different points. Yeah. I'm going to keep reading because I don't want to miss a chapter that then when it starts to get good, I'm missing a chapter that might connect and might explain something from the past or, you know, so that's how we become completists. Completists.
1: That's the good word.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we do have to mention at this point that fire and water podcast network has a Patreon page. If you like our content, please think about making a one time or monthly donation. The amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards, get on that zero list at, patreon.com slash fwpodcasts a reminder that you can leave us comments at fire and water you can also follow fire and water's facebook page listen to the show on spotify or uh you can go on twitter the account is FW Podcasts, so you never miss a beat and that, that's it for us uh, we'll see you uh next month with more zero hour coverage Ooh, it's gonna be fun
1: next time on Zero Hour Strikes Zero Hour number three